Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. There are things that go bump in the night, and we are the ones who bump back. Somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours, aware of what they mean. Or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos? I couldn't help but one point in my discussions with General Secretary Gorbachev. I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world, from another planet outside in the universe. Well, I don't suppose we can wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us, but I think that between us we can bring about that realization. All right, Crypt Keepers, welcome to season two. Welcome back. Ryan is back with us to bring the pain. What's up, Ryan? A lot of Billy Milligan stuff. Yes. A lot, a lot of people, a lot of names, a lot of dates. A lot of names. A lot of names. A lot of names with not a lot of people at that time. <laughs> it's very true. So uh, this case is kind of uh, anxiety causing for some people. And I know that it caused you to start drinking so much that you wanted to open up your own bar. Is that true? Uh, it might have been a contributing factor, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, right <laughs> if now, I'm going to drink, it might as well be tax deductible, you know? Right. Going back into your pocket. Just tell them real quick, because a lot of our listeners right now I know are in St. Louis, so if you want to just give your bar a plug, it's going to be opening up fairly soon. Go ahead and just tell us a little bit about it real quick. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'm, uh, I wanted to completely get out of the field that I was in after the pandemic just the pandemic gave me a lot of time to kind of sit and think about what i was doing sure so i've switched from a regular office job to opening a bar and retro arcade kind of concept that i had thought about back in grad school it is located in edwardsville illinois which is a suburb of st louis it's what 25 30 miles away Mm -hmm. and but it's got original retro arcade games. I've got TVs going in. I've got a projector going in. I'm in talks with Swank Motion Pictures to show movies periodically. You know, like, uh, you know, basically anything that's out of theaters and on video can be licensed for showing in a commercial space. Nice. Uh, yeah, and right now I'm just trying to get everything up and going. It's been a long time coming with the pandemic and all that. Absolutely. And hopefully it's the perfect time to open. Unfortunately, at the expense of a lot of people that lost their businesses, you know, due to the pandemic. But get out there, support Ryan and support cool video games, support heavy drinking. Maybe if you uh, if you find Ryan and mention Cryptique, he's going to do something nice for you. Maybe a token or maybe a. A truffle shuffle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, the bar is called Loading Bar, 
and it's at 6185 Bennett Drive in Edwardsville, pretty close to the SIUE campus. And do you have a, a hard date when you're going to open? No, no. Probably early April. Nice. All right. Well, so go get out there and support him and, you know, support all your local businesses because there's a lot of people that are trying to make comebacks from, you know, all this, all these lockdowns and all this terrible stuff that came along with it. So get out there and support. So now you mentioned that you were going to possibly show some movies in there from time to time. What do you know about the movie Split? Uh, Split is a movie that I saw quite a while ago and haven't seen since. One of my friends wanted to watch it. So I, I was thinking about that as I was reading about Billy Milligan. Because I know, I know people compare the two, but I'm not entirely sure that they're actually related. Well, a couple of sources that I found said that Split was specifically based on Billy Milligan. And then there were some sources that didn't mention Split at all Mm -hmm. all right split 24 personalities is uh, the most common thing that i've heard and it seems strange that they would uh that was an m night Shyamalan movie right yeah yeah it was it it's in the same universe as uh unbreakable and Mm -hmm. then that ties into what was the next one called glass which i saw unbreakable forever ago I didn't see Glass. I saw Split. I really liked that. But, mm-hmm. you know, part of that is because I like that actor. James McAvoy. Yeah, he's awesome. Yes. Yeah, I really like James McAvoy. And I thought they did a really interesting job of using... I, I don't know if it's just his performance or the whole concept of it that was so captivating, but I didn't know there was anything similar out there that had happened in real life. But mm-hmm. these girls being kidnapped and... You know, interacting with these different personalities, because depending on how he is, uh, kind of at the moment, it sort of determines which personality comes out and what they do and how they interact with these people. Mm -hmm. It was really strange. And then the, you know, a real thing is like um, dissociative identity disorder is can be identified by changes in handwriting or drawing styles or things like that. Mm -hmm. And Oh, I mean, and and also just in your mannerisms, but sure. in Split, his like physicality changed. Mm-hmm. You know, when the the beast or whatever they called him was coming yeah. out, or the protector or whatever they called that character, and he was just like a, a beast. Like, I think it was just they he called him the beast, and he was kidnapping those girls to sacrifice in hopes that the beast would be, I guess, satiated and kind of leave him alone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was, uh, I don't know, it was a good movie. I don't know if I would like Glass. For some reason, I've just never been tempted to see it. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. And it's creepy to know that it's so closely related to this. And I, I think that the correlation is strong in the fact that there's 24 personalities in Split. And the man we'll be talking about shortly here also claimed to have 24 personalities. And that could have just been something that M. Night Shyamalan or or whoever wrote the script was like, you know, had heard about the case and said 24, 24 sounds like a good number. But it seems more likely that it would be based on something factual. I I don't know. I just think 24 would be kind of a weird number to just pull out of the air and happen to coincide with, 
you know, a successful, well, we'll talk about how the case turns out, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, that they would just pull that number out of the air. So, all right. So we are talking about William Stanley Milligan. And he was born February 14th, 1955, and passed away December 12th, 2014. He was also known as the Campus Rapist, and he was the subject of a highly publicized court case in Ohio in the late 1970s. So he was accused, and this is just a quick overview, we'll go into it in depth, but He was accused of committing several felonies like armed robbery and rape. And there are some murders that he's accused of. I saw that his roommate, a roommate that he had disappeared. Mm -hmm. And it was suspected that there was some kind of foul play, but they were never able to pin anything on him. So he was uh, basically what we're getting at is he was diagnosed at the time with multiple personality disorder well first he was schizophrenia is what i saw schizophrenia at one point definitely but there was also one that i haven't heard of before it was like hysterical neurosis that's what it was so he was the first person diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder to raise such a defense and what we're talking about is he he pled insanity. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out later about his uh, convictions and lack thereof and his punishment. But should we start with his early life? Yeah, I can get into that. So my sources were a number of different articles. And there is a docuseries on Netflix about him that I didn't watch. Mainly because it was recommended to me. I thought it was Monsters Inside Me, which was an old show about, like, parasites. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just assumed that's what it was. I didn't read the subtitle that it was, you know, the 24 faces of Billy Milligan or whatever it was. Sure. There's also a book, and that's how I knew about this guy. Not not from having read it, but having read uh, articles talking about it, listening to podcasts talking about his story, because... When that book came out, it seemed to, you know, kind of explode for a little while. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was The Minds of Billy Milligan Mm -hmm. by... Daniel Keyes. Yes, that's right. So, anyway. So, our sources might be a little bit different, and I'm interested to see, you know, what what the series had maybe different from the sources Mm -hmm. that I found. But, yeah. Born February 13th, 1955, to Johnny Morrison and Dorothy Moore. Those are the, that's the name that I found, but I saw her name listed as Dorothy Sands. Yeah, in other places. So, um, but they all agree Johnny Morrison and Dorothy something. So it might just be some married name that she had at some point. Sure. Then I found that Johnny Morrison attempted suicide twice mm-hmm. and was successful on January 17th of 1959. Uh, all I was able to find was that he died of carbon monoxide poisoning. You know, around the time Billy was, what, he would have been three around then? Yeah, three or four. And so I'm assuming that means he killed himself using his car? Yeah, the, the way that I heard it described is the typical, you know, he would run a hose from his exhaust into his car. But Yeah. And that would have been possible 
back then. I, I think that, you know, unless you have a big truck or something, most of today's cars put out so little emissions compared to then that, you know, you can't, you can't just like lock yourself in a garage with a Prius and turn it on and expect to, to die. So, yeah. but the first attempt was with uh, scotch and sleeping pills. Mm, okay. So after his death, Dorothy moved. They had been living in Miami, and she returned to Lancaster, Ohio, where she had lived before, and remarried an ex-husband. Now, I saw in the notes that you had that this ex-husband, we're not sure who he is. In some of the sources that I found, it said that the ex-husband was uh, Chalmer Milligan. Mm-hmm. If that's how you pronounce that name. Yeah. And that they were remarried on October 27th, 1963. Yeah, I think that's what I've got. I wanted to uh, mention, too, this will come into play later. So his mother was working in Miami as a singer. So I didn't see any info on if she was a cover singer or, I mean, I'm assuming that, uh, you know, she played clubs and stuff like that. But what I'm getting at is she was creative she was an artist that is something we'll touch on a little bit later i just wanted to foreshadow a little bit it sounds like billy's young life after this point was not great Mm -hmm. Uh, i found a couple sources saying that his father was accused of and even put on trial for abuse both physical and sexual abuse of billy Mm -hmm. and that his previous marriage had ended uh due to neglect some sort of neglect that was alleged by his previous wife yeah i got that her name was bernice and she divorced him quote on the grounds of gross neglect so Mm -hmm. i don't know exactly what that means but yeah um I, i heard the same thing that he abused according to billy uh we need to say that because he was never convicted for sure and a lot of the sources that I found never mentioned him even being charged with, uh, you know, sexual assault. But yeah, it was said that he also hung him up by his toes and fingers and that he would regularly make him get into a hole and would throw dirt on him and basically make him think he was going to be buried alive. Hmm. So, you know, that's Chalmer. Yeah, he was never convicted on any of it, but I mean, if you are going to uh, create trauma for somebody, certainly this is a perfect example of of trauma that would cause somebody some sort of mental illness or PTSD or something like that. So, Yeah, and during this time, three of his personalities were created. There was a no-name boy... Uh, one called Christine and another called Sean. But I don't have much on the uh, characteristics of all of these. I do have a little bit about Christine. Okay. I found that cr- the Christine personality is aged around three years old. Mm-hmm. And was the one who would stand in the corner in school when Billy got in trouble. She was dyslexic, but another personality, Arthur, uh, taught her to read and write. And the personality called Reagan had a special bond with her. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that was interesting, too, when I first heard about this case was that not only did the personalities manifest at different times, but they served 
specific purposes. Like there was a reason why they came out when they came out. It wasn't just, Hey, today I'm this person. Right. And that the personalities were aware of each other. Mm -hmm. And in the book, if I'm remembering what I read about it, right. It was basically the one that would stand in the light. Like that's the perspective of the personalities. Like one of them got in this light and that meant that they were in control. Right. And I think that's the way they describe it in split as well. I think so point, too, yeah. yeah, there's a point where they're talking one of the I think more childish personalities and they talk about, you know, oh I'm not strong enough to stay in the light or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if it's common for personalities to be aware of one another, mm -hmm. but that certainly was allegedly the case with Billy Milligan. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting that it's almost like kind of a weird family that was living in him. You know, it was yeah. different ages, different sexes, different uh, sexual orientations. There was quite an array. You know, it wasn't, if he was acting, he had to do a fantastic job because he, he spoke with accents. He had, which obviously people can do, but... Um, you know, it's, it's difficult. And that also kind of brings me to, okay, well, his mother was an artist. She was really creative. As we'll see later, Billy or one or more of his personalities was also extremely or were extremely creative. And we will talk about his artwork a little bit later. So, yeah, I actually was just looking through my notes here and I forgot. I did find a personality called uh, Danny. Mm -hmm. And it says, Danny is afraid of people, especially men. He only paints still life, uh, saying that this was because Chalmer made him dig his own grave and buried him in it. Mm -hmm. So, and then there's a David character, which I think is another one that was from Split. Aged eight, uh, David is the keeper of pain and comes to the spot to take the pain for the others. Hmm. Yeah. In 1975, Milligan was imprisoned at Lebanon Correctional Institution in Ohio for rape and armed robbery. That is, to the letter, what I found about it. Anywhere I looked that mentioned it, it only had that quote to say that he was locked up for it at some point. He was released on parole in early 1977, but by October he was arrested again for raping three women on the Ohio State University campus. So, interesting side story that, uh, digging a little bit deeper, I was able to find that he and his cohort or his buddy uh, another human mm. person not a personality, personality. Yeah. stated that these three women and there was originally four but the fourth one for whatever reason was just kind of let go I, I guess there was just not enough evidence or whatever but he claimed and his friend that these three women were prostitutes and he could not get an erection and so he didn't pay them mm. and that's what led them to you know report it as a rape but i don't know 
that could very easily just be total bullshit that he made up to you know make himself sound better or whatever but he was basically uh, identified by one of these ladies through a mugshot um in in his so in in 1975 he eventually i guess had to register as a sex offender right and so what what happened is uh these victims were given you know like mug lineups or mugshot lineups of known sex offenders and they were able to or she was able to identify his his picture uh, in the in the mugshot lineup and then they were able to corroborate it by fingerprints lifted from one of the other victims cars yeah i saw that too that they had found a clean fingerprint from him on the windshield the inside of the windshield Mm -hmm. which seems like a perfect place to get a fingerprint from that's not a place you often would touch right it's not like he walked by the car in a parking lot and you know touched the bumper or something like that it was i mean no yeah like nobody touches the inside of their windshield i had a friend in college who for whatever reason put her feet up on my dashboard and put all 10 of her toes against my windshield and it made these little toe prints (laughs) never came out did it (laughs) until i washed the car everybody who got in it was like what what is that like what happened like why are there those fingerprints no it's like no no, Aaron had her feet on my windshield. I don't know why, but it was super obvious. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, but yeah, so your fingerprints aren't going to arbitrarily end up on the inside of somebody's windshield, right? And I would never doubt a woman who says that she was raped unless there was overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. And being that these three women were on the campus of Ohio State University, the chances that, you know, a sophomore psych major moonlights as a prostitute are pretty slim. Yeah. Although it's not cheap to go to Ohio State. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So along the same lines, I saw that Billy was released on parole in early 1977, like you said, and did have to register as a sex offender. Right. So his fingerprints and mug shots were in the system, and it was just kind of a... I mean, he, he did that months before, mm-hmm. and still went about trying to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only thing different, maybe, than what you just said, unless you weren't done, is that one of his victims said that he was very nice and acted like a three-year-old girl, which suggests that that's one of his personalities, the uh, Christine personality. Yeah, I did hear that. Mm-hmm. And that would be a very, I I mean, that's a great long game. If you're Mm -hmm. committing, you know, crimes and you're pretending to be a three-year-old girl during the crime. So if you get caught later on, you may be able to use a defense that's never been used in in an American court. Uh, That's a hell of a long game. That's a lot of foresight to, you know, plan your defense well ahead of time especially such an odd defense yeah that's bond villain level planning right so he used a gun in one of these rapes and obviously being a felon he is not allowed to own firearms or ammo and I don't know what the law is in Ohio but I believe here in Missouri, 
if you live in a house, there cannot be a firearm or ammunition in the house at all, even if it's owned by a parent or a roommate or a brother or something like that. It's it will even if it's not yours, even if you don't know about it, you can still get in big trouble and you know get your parole revoked. But he was indicted on three counts of kidnapping, three counts of aggravated robbery, eight gunshots, and four counts of rape. Now, this was the only place uh, at Wikipedia where I found that there was supposed to be eight gunshots. I, I, yeah, I didn't see that anywhere. But anyway, so he was indicted on on those and yeah there we go with the four counts of rape but they put him in the ohio state penitentiary pending trial and so obviously you know he underwent a psychological exam and this was by dr willis c driscoll who diagnosed milligan with acute schizophrenia so that sounds pretty legit i mean i don't think that most psychiatrists are going to jump to multiple personality disorder or DID, uh, they're going to start with something like that. Much the way that psychiatrists today, before diagnosing bipolar disorder, will try ADHD medicine first to see if that's what it is. So he got the original diagnosis of schizophrenia and then was examined by psychologist Dorothy Turner of Southwest Community Mental Health Center in Columbus, Ohio. And that's quite an acronym if you want to try and spell that out. But uh, Turner concluded that Milligan suffered from dissociative identity disorder. So that's big. Yeah, or multiple personality disorder as it was known at the time. Right. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. That's big. I mean, in... Who knows, maybe that gave his uh, defense team the idea or, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad about Miss Turner because, uh, you know, she probably believed that he really did have it and that was gold for his defense. Mm -hmm. But again, we talk about that long game. I don't know. What What are your initial thoughts? You believe it or not believe it? I don't know. I, I I think I believe it at least surface level. Just I, I like I said, I didn't watch the show, but I did see a few minutes of the first episode. Mm-hmm. And and I've listened to a lot of discussions about this before. And what a lot of them seem to agree on is the idea that Billy was like very confused didn't seem to understand what was going on or why he was where he was or what was really happening. And at times would take on this very childlike demeanor and be like, what, why are they saying I did this stuff? And, mm-hmm. um, I had seen a couple places that, uh, his, his drawing had changed. He would, he would draw these different kinds of Figures and one day the drawings would be very simple and childish, and another day it would be a totally different style, like much more adult, much more symbolic of things. Very uh, Bob Ross found... in the house. <laughs> yeah, so the painting happy little nooses and things like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw that Dr. Dorothy Ottnow Lewis, a psychologist, or sorry, psychiatrist specializing in DID, said that there was 
said that there is currently no MRI or other like hard and fast medical tests to prove the existence of that disorder and that using it as a defense in court is really difficult. Right. She says that the best proof is to use samples of drawing or writing from that person from day to day without meeting them or talking to them first. And that true DID will sometimes manifest in significantly different handwriting styles or drawing, which is, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier. Um, and apparently he exhibited that. So I feel like the confusion, the fact that there are a number of people who say that he had this confusion, it's, it's kind of more believable to me. Well, and then the art styles, the fact that he was drawing things differently. I found some photos online of some of his drawings and how they kind of varied from from day to day or, you know, whatever period of time they were taken from. But at a minimum, he seemed to take on some kind of self-destructive tendencies in prison. That's totally understandable. You know, drew about it, wrote about it. Yeah. I mean, but it's. Is that an admission of guilt? Like, did he thought he deserved that? Or was it just like, I have no idea what's going on. I would rather be anywhere than here. Yeah. Well, in in a lot of reports, they're saying that he basically woke up in prison and claims that he had been, quote, asleep for seven years. Did you find anything on that? That does... Uh, I, I think I... Saw that as an excerpt from that book, though, mm -hmm. The Minds of Billy Milligan, that, that when they finally got to the core personality, you know, he was saying that he'll just lose, like, long, long tracks of time. Right. And I think that was also a thing in Split. Mm -hmm. That when they finally got through to Dennis or whatever the core personality was, like, he didn't really know what was going on, and he was like, you gotta, you gotta kill me or whatever. Because he knew that his personalities were up to no good. Well, you know, we've talked about possession before in how scary that would be but if you're possessed you believe you're possessed or you know if listeners believe in it or don't believe in it mm -hmm. how scary would that be to just believe that you're possessed but there are some things that you can do you can mm -hmm. find a way to get an exorcism if you can prove you know beyond what the catholic church um, identifies as as true signs of possession but there is no cure for multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder you're just fucked mm -hmm. and they can do things to try and help you i'm sure that there's plenty of therapists that have ideas on how they can help you but there's just not enough information out there where we can say oh we interviewed you know 17,000 people with did and we found, you know, that 70% of them were cured this way. It's, it's just not out there. So there's not really much hope that someone can overcome this. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times uh, doctors will use medicine meant for one thing to treat another thing. A lot of times they will use anticonvulsants to treat other things. And I would think that's kind of the way the therapist would have to go about it, like mm -hmm. treating trauma, right? you know, trying to treat the source as opposed to overcome the mental illness. I don't know. Would it even be a real mental illness if it's true? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you define illness. If you're like functional still, 
then maybe it's not a problem. I remember listening to Loveline back in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. And somebody called in and they were talking about, like, do I have an addiction to whatever? Or, what, you know, whatever it was he was talking about. He's like, sure. do, I have, do I have a problem? And uh, I remember Dr. Drew was like, you know, well, are you are you failing to do anything? Like, are you not picking your kids up from school? Are you missing work? Or, you know, are you doing this, doing that? You know, not fulfilling some duties. And the guy was like, no, no, I'm able to do all that. And he's like, then you're fine. You know, mm-hmm. you're basically just somebody who likes that. You know, he's like, it it rises in in his opinion, I guess. It, it rises to the level of addiction when it gets in the way of what you're supposed to be doing. Right. So I would, I would maybe apply that here. Mm-hmm. That maybe it rises to the level of an illness when it causes some, you know, functional problem. Right. Now, obviously, in this case, when you're raping people and robbing people and all this stuff, that's a problem. But right. if it's just like if, if you find out that, you know, when you go into these particular meetings that you hate, another personality takes over <laughs> that's more aggressive and can handle it better than you, then that's almost more of just like a coping mechanism sure as long as there's no harm that comes of it yeah so yeah i don't know and if it's all psychological maybe you'd have to have some kind of reconciliation between the personalities we all i mean the world the universe is built on duality we've all got good we've all got evil and i think all of us we don't have split personalities which you know, is, is something that's not used to describe it anymore either. But we do have, you know, they talk about like mama bear, like my wife Mm -hmm. is super sweet, nicest person you'll ever meet. But if you fuck with Mm -hmm. one of her kids, you're going to get it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously, you know, she's still Becky. She's not Reagan, but right. Right. I don't know. Like maybe your, your neurons take a certain path when you're at a business meeting, but then, Mm -hmm. you know, your neurons take a completely different path when somebody pisses you off in traffic, because again, might be the nicest person, but if somebody cuts you off, you might be putting that finger up in the air. And I just wonder, I, I wonder if there's a spectrum of like, okay, the normal person or the average person, I should say, has these tendencies. You know, they're super nice, they're super friendly, but maybe if you do something against them, they have to have revenge. You know what I mean? And it's just almost like a different, not a personality, but a different aspect or part of your personality. And then the spectrum keeps going and Billy was just unfortunately on the wrong end of the spectrum and he really had split personalities. And if I believe in multiple personality disorder, this guy had it. Mm-hmm. If if this is a real thing, I don't think he's faking. Put it that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I I've been wondering for a while. You know, is it, it if it's real? Is it something that occurs in the brain, mm-hmm. or is it something else like like a soul? Yeah, kind of. Like you've got multiple souls inside you. There's a quote I read a while ago. That says, looking for consciousness in the brain is like looking inside a radio for the announcer. And I I feel like that makes sense. Because I've seen, 
you know, papers and articles from scientists who tried to replicate the workings of a human mind mm -hmm. using algorithms and mathematics, essentially, which should be possible if consciousness is generated by what we're carrying around in our heads. Right. And I remember in particular, there was this Chinese scientist who was studying AI and he was saying, like, it, it doesn't appear that what happens in the mind is necessarily that, um, you know, that closely sort of dictated by your brain. Uh -huh. and, and it, I don't know. It's one of those things where I feel like that makes sense in some circumstances, like mm -hmm. where you can have people whose personalities change when certain things happen to them. And sure. then they kind of flip back. Like if you have a, the wrong kind of medication or, or a certain illness that you recover from, mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's something that just sort of changes your reception. Mm -hmm. And maybe when you have multiple personalities, it's more like you're receiving, you know, it, it's like a tape. You know, if you ever okay. had an, an old tape player with a head that's out of alignment, you can kind of hear two tracks at once. Yeah. Maybe it's kind of like that. Or, you know, just not having your radio tuned correctly and you're getting a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe there's a filter that's missing. Maybe it really is just a mental mechanism to protect yourself from certain things and sort of sort of like that new show severance i keep seeing commercials for it where when you go to work you're a different person mm -hmm. and it's something to like keep secrecy of this company or whatever but like or like dave Chappelle said when you meet a person you don't meet the person you meet their representative you find out who the real person is later yeah yeah that's a little bit true you know you go into a job interview you're a totally different person than when you're kicking it with your homeboys. <laughs> His public defenders were Gary Schweikart and Judy Stevenson, and they pleaded insanity, and he was committed until such time as he regained sanity, quote-unquote. So something that's important to talk about, I think, at least from you know the true crime aspect, is it's a misconception that in most cases, when someone is found innocent by reason of insanity, um, they don't like just go free. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not a get out of jail free card. And in most cases, it is okay, we're going to send you to a psychiatric institute. And then once you kind of gain like a clarity, yeah, that's a good word for it a clarity then you come back and face the consequences. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not just like, oh, we're going to put you in an insane asylum, and when you get better, we're going to let you go in most cases. But, hey, you're going to have to come. We're going to help you, but you're still going to have to, you know, face the consequences for what you did. I don't know. How do you feel about the insanity defense being used here? I don't know. I've heard of other stories. I think there was a uh, either a radio lab or probably a This American Life episode. Something it was some NPR show mm -hmm. where they were talking about this doctor in this small town who had murdered his father. Mm -hmm. His father had been abusive to him when he was a child, and he killed him. Mm -hmm. You know, came to bring him out of this nursing home. He was going to have him live with him, and then. They found him dead and he got arrested and the, the police were sure that he was faking this mental illness that he was supposed to have that he was using as a defense. Mm -hmm. And it was found that he had an actual legitimate illness because 
the reason that this makes for such a good NPR story is that the doctor who was hired to replace him had the same name, had the same family name. <laughs> so there were people who were nervous about him. Like, are you related to this guy? Yeah. Like I thought, I thought you were in jail. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm a different Dr. Kevorkian. I'm not Jack <laughs> Kevorkian. Uh, so he had to find out who this guy was. And he was like, I don't know that I'm comfortable taking over the practice of a, of a murderer who's in jail. But they, they found out that it really was this, um, some kind of, disease i forget it. I, I listened to this a while ago mm-hmm. uh, and i didn't think of it while i was researching this but he essentially was not in control of his actions mm-hmm. like really had difficulty thinking they had recordings of him on phone calls where he's like talking about you know you need to give me this medicine like i can't think straight and all this stuff and then they found mm-hmm. out they did all these tests and found that he really did have this disease and they started giving him this medication and he was like talking about how happy he was. Cause he was like, he could finally, he didn't even care that he was still in prison. Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm just happy to have like my mind back. Yeah. You know, and, and that you've carried on my practice and that, you know, at least we know what's going on. And they said that he did not initially know that this was a typically fatal disease. Mm. And they had a recording of telling him that, I think it was it was either like when they told him or very shortly after that and he was like hey you know a couple years of like clarity is better than living forever like this yeah so that being said I think there are cases where okay I, I think I think maybe where I'm getting hung up is do you deserve a punishment or are you just culpable mm-hmm. for what happened so I think if you have a disorder that causes you to act out in a way that you can't control, then you are not necessarily responsible for your own actions. Okay. But I don't think that means that you should be necessarily just free to go. Right. Because as I found in my research here, the, the times when he was released, when Milligan was released, it was when the doctors where he was deemed that he was no longer a threat to society. Right. Like they thought it was safe to have him out. You know, it's, it's, it's not an exact science. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where you have like a pet or a kid that misbehaves or does something they're not supposed to. And it's like, I know they can't help it for this reason, but I can't allow them to be in a circumstance that, that makes this likely to happen again. Right. Right. I mean, it's like picking up the water bowl before you leave the house. Cause you know, if you leave it there, your dog is going to pee everywhere. And <laughs> right. I, I mean, that's, you know, just bottom line description but our justice system let's be honest is set up to punish it's not set up to rehabilitate we do these silly things like oh you know you can uh get a certificate for travel agent while you're in prison you know and, and stuff like that but i don't think that our system is set up to re release people and we see that because of the rate of recidivism Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, most of these, I don't want to say most, but a, a lot of criminals get out of jail. They do their time. They got their punishment and then have nothing to go back to except the exact same thing they were doing. An economic way of explaining it would be that the cost of doing whatever it was that they did before again is much lower. Right. The first time they did whatever they did, they lost their relationships and their job and their career prospects. The second time they do it, that stuff's gone. Right. They go back to a situation they're 
familiar with, possibly even comfortable with at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you literally hang out with nothing but criminals, the um, like if I was to go to one of my friends and be like, hey, you know that bank robbery? I I robbed that bank. Yeah, I I shot that teller. They're not going to be like, oh man, we should go party. We should go to the loading bar. They're going to be like, what? Um, Okay, you need to leave my house. And they would, I don't know if they'd call the cops on me, but the level of acceptance in prison, you know, you could be like, you know, I went out on a date with this girl and I spent a hundred bucks on dinner and she wouldn't put out. So I raped her and half the people there might be like, yeah, I would do the same thing. So you get that feedback that, that what you're doing is okay. Almost like negative reinforcement. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But in any case, if, if you truly have multiple personalities and you truly have personalities that commit crimes, the rapes were allegedly committed by a young lesbian woman. Adelena, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so can you rehabilitate personalities that are not always there, that are not always present? Because yeah. if it wasn't Billy that was committing these crimes... Billy doesn't need to be rehabilitated. Reagan and uh, Adelina need to be rehabilitated. So, right. Yeah, that was an interesting thing. When I was reading some of the stuff from this Dr. Lewis, the one that I talked about before, mm-hmm. uh, she has a quote saying that, uh, that the best way to prevent the kind of violent crime seen in this case is to prevent child abuse. Mm-hmm. She said, to produce the repeatedly aggressive individual, usually there's a history of early, ongoing, intolerable abuse of one sort or another, and also some quirkiness about his or her brain. So essentially, there might be people that are sort of predisposed to this fracturing, mm-hmm. or, or this uh, protective mechanism, however you want to look at it. Sure. But the thing that brings it about is abuse. Right. Trauma. In, in any case, um, you're absolutely right, and she's absolutely right. When you have a forest fire, it started somewhere. And if that camper would have poured water on his fire or not flick that cigarette, it wouldn't have started. So you can fix that if you can convince people to make sure their fires are put out and not to flick their cigarettes. But once it's a forest fire, it's just out of control yeah and it kind of seems like that's maybe what happened he went through this horrible trauma and i hope that none of you listeners have been through a trauma like he claims that he went through because i can't even imagine what it would be like to think that i'm going to be buried alive another sad thing about it is that most of the attention for this I, I read an article in Esquire actually about this that was related to this series coming out mm-hmm. and they had a little section at the end where they talked about that uh, you know it's kind of tragic that the victims in these crimes were kind of sidelined mm-hmm. because so much of the interest was focused on Billy and his and his alters mm-hmm. that's I think 
that might be the right term to use for them. These, these alternate personalities, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, they, it, it sort of just became all about him yeah, and his 24 personalities. Yeah. And in reality, nobody cared about him. They didn't care about him. They, they wanted a cool story and you know, that's just how it is. I, I mean, people would say the same thing about us. So it is what it is. And, it's a crazy story, and that's what's going to get the attention. We we tend to put, and this is a side note, but we tend to put doctors on a pedestal. You know, we it seems that some people almost worship them. Scientism, they can fall victim to the same personality disorders that we have. And some of these psychiatrists may have, you know, had that little motivation like, oh, this is my big break. I could become famous off this. I may be the only person that gets to, you know, treat somebody with proven DID. Yeah. That's kind of brings us to his incarceration. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy. And if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. Have you ever wondered what it's like to kill a man? Hey, what's up, Crypt Keepers? Are you enjoying the show? If you haven't already, I suggest taking my true crime podcast, Exploring Evil, for a test drive. Exploring Evil focuses on lesser-known serial killers, occult murders, and murders with a paranormal twist, so it should be right up your alley. The Magdalena Soli episode features a prostitute who convinced a Mexican village she was a goddess. She presented with psychosis, religious delusions, delusions of grandeur, sexual perversions, sadism, incest, fetishism, vampirism, and pedophilia. You don't want to miss that one. In the Indian Blood Farm, we cover a case where a man had an outbuilding he was keeping the downtrodden. He kept them weak by continuously draining blood to sell to the local hospitals who were running on short supply. But one man escaped and told the world what was really happening. How about the Body Snatchers episode where corpses had their body parts replaced with PVC pipes so they could be sold for a profit? In the Antron Singleton case, we cover a rapper who killed and ate pieces of a woman. There's always something new and interesting to listen to and a lot of twists and turns. So check out Exploring Evil everywhere you find Cryptique.
Yeah, so during... We, we already talked about his examination by Dr. Driscoll and then by uh, Dorothy Turner, who discovered his personality disorder, or mm-hmm. DID now. Yeah, during this time, Billy claimed that Reagan was the personality that robbed the women, where, mm-hmm. like you said, Adelina was the personality responsible for the rapes. Now, uh, Reagan... Uh, oh, my God. Reagan has a very Russian-sounding last name, or looking last name, Fadaskovich? Fadaskovich. Something like that. Yeah. Is, was the keeper of hate. Uh, and the name comes from the words rage again. Reagan describes himself as Yugoslavian, has a Slavic accent, and can write and speak in Serbo-Croatian. He controls the spot in dangerous times and can designate group members as undesirable. He admitted committing robbery in order to support the family but had no knowledge of the rape. I know the police have evidence that I committed robberies, and I did it. I did those crimes, three robberies in October, but I didn't do any rapes. Everything they tell about me is lie. I'm no rapist. So you might have heard my air quotes around the family, because like you were saying, this is almost like a horrific episode of Faulty Towers or something. It's a lot of <laughs> incompatible people living together. So Mr. Vatiskovinich was yeah. also described as a Robin Hood type spirit, but none of the sources ever explained why. They never said he robbed this person and then bought a homeless guy at dinner. They just said he kind of had a Robin Hood spirit. So take that however you want, but that's in every source that I found. I think that's probably related to the supporting the other altars. Yeah. The yeah, idea that's that, a good point. That, that this person's doing it to support the other 23 personalities. Yeah, they're not pulling their weight. And Going back real quick to uh, Reagan, there's also a lot of research out there that says that he was an armed guard for a drug dealer and an armed guard for an illegal gun dealer. So I just wanted to throw that out there real quick. Right. And as far as Adelina, like you mentioned, it is a, a lesbian who cooks and cleans house for the others and writes poetry. A Milligan's attorney claimed that Adelina had admitted to committing the rapes without the knowledge of Milligan or the other altars. They just didn't understand what the love is, what the need for, for caring is. I felt rage and spills and alcohol, and I just, I used it. I, I just wanted to rage and off the spot for a few moments. I did it. I don't know why. It's, it's too, it's hard to talk about this, but yes, I did it. I did the rapes. I, I, I'm sorry. What else can I say? I just wanted some love. Okay. So yeah, during the uh, his incarceration and these examinations, well, I, I should say that he was found not guilty of nine criminal charges by reason of insanity on December fourth of nineteen seventy eight, mm-hmm. uh, and it was the first case in which the insanity defense was successfully used based on multiple personality disorder, or like we've said, what is called today dissociative identity disorder. So it was initially believed that sexual and physical abuse inflicted on Billy as a child by his stepfather, Chalmer Milligan, was what caused his psyche to initially fracture into about 10 distinct personalities. Mm -hmm. And later it was believed that there were up to 24 of them. 
Right. And I found sources saying that Milligan's that Billy Milligan, that is since I'm talking about multiple Milligans, uh, that his mother, sister, and brother, all three, uh, agreed that Chalmer was brutal and abusive, but Chalmer himself denied all these allegations and he passed away at the age of 61 in 1988. So that's pretty young. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, uh, that, and I guess a mom will do anything, you know, for their kid, but I saw an interview with this mom that she said after he had been through the psychiatric system, she said, I saw my first miracle. I saw my son again. The core, Billy. For the first, in about 18 years. I finally have my son back. And that really stuck with Mm -hmm. me. Like, nobody knows you more than your mom, ever. You know, it's just not going to happen. And for her to say something like that, if she's being totally forthcoming, that to me is also a big piece of evidence. But, you know, I'm the conspiracy theorist, so. Yeah. So in the eight years following the arrest, the the 1977 arrest, I guess, mm-hmm. um, he was in and out of hospitals, but I found that he had escaped from the Central Ohio Psychiatric Hospital on July 4th of 1986 Mm -hmm. and assumed the name Christopher Carr uh, and started living in Bellingham, Washington. And during this time, he lived with a roommate named Michael Madden, who went missing in September of that year. Uh, I found that his disappearance was never solved, but Milligan had a number of Madden's belongings in his possession Mm-hmm. and was found to have been cashing disability checks meant for Madden in a shared account. Mm. Look, we don't have enough to convict him, but man, all the arrows point to murder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a- after this, he apparently fled, fled mm-hmm. Washington, but was captured in Florida and returned to Ohio and institutionalized again, but was determined to no longer be a threat to society and was released in 1988. One of the things I wanted to talk about real quick is that he got treatment from a psychiatrist named David Call, and he is the one who actually diagnosed the additional 14 personalities. Okay, Mm. so we talked about the doctors maybe... You know, like this is the case of a lifetime. You know, I got to make yeah. the most of this as a once in a lifetime shot. Uh, but one of my sources said that Dr. Call wasn't even a board certified psychiatrist. And now, while he was a psychiatrist, I guess at the time he wasn't board certified. And he had to actually have a video conference at the same time as he was interviewing Milligan, Billy Milligan with a board certified psychiatrist like watching over everything so like i said that was just one source but if that's the case that kind of you know it's like if this is one of the most difficult psychiatric evaluations of all time at least in american history which it really is maybe you want to have the most experienced guy (laughs) doing you know what i mean 
yeah you don't you don't you don't send a guy fresh out of boot camp to you know go infiltrate a castle somewhere and you know slay a dictator that's what you send the navy seals for and you know i kind of in you know he was a doctor but at the same time i i kind of think man you, you couldn't have done better than that and i know he was the one that was you know the sitting psychiatrist for the uh prison or the um psychiatric center that he was at but still come on put your best foot yeah. forward yeah and i do wonder a little bit if that's uh you know him, him playing something up or or exaggerating something because mm-hmm. there are only 10 personalities that seem to have a major role or were really noticeable and distinct from the others mm-hmm. apart from the ones we talked about which were reagan christine and adelena there's arthur who is an extremely sophisticated and educated englishman an expert in science and medicine with a focus in hematology he is in the spot or you know we we didn't explain that before you know kind of in the light the one in charge of the body Mm -hmm. during times that required uh more brain power Mm -hmm. arthur is one of only two personalities that would uh who could classify a person in the group as undesirable well if not his skills and electronics i would have banished him long ago but he has some talents well i'm just an amateur i'm good at medicine and biology then you have Alan, who is a con man and manipulator, the most common one to talk to the outside world, plays the drums and paints portraits, is the only right-handed personality, and the only one who smokes cigarettes. Which reminds me of Split, because Split, one of the personalities, was diabetic and had to take insulin. Hmm. Yeah, I forgot about that. If, if I'm remembering it right, I mean, I haven't seen that movie in years, but I remember, like, the video journals that they found where one of the personalities was talking about that. Um, So there's Tommy, who's an escape artist, often confused with Alan, plays the tenor sax, and is an electronics expert. It's also a painter specializing in landscapes. And an escape artist is what I heard. Shit, I don't need nobody to keep me out of anything. No jail can keep me. I can get out myself. You must be Tommy. Yeah, yeah. That's me. So that's pretty cool. How do you get the title Escape Artist? I don't know. You gotta have more than just one escape, right? Yeah, because it could just be a fluke. It's gotta be a trend of escapes. (laughs) Uh, So Danny is afraid of people, especially men, only paying still lives. I think, yeah, so this is the one that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh probably came about because of Chalmer basically burying him alive as a kid. Mm-hmm. Well, Tommy always says, don't touch my stuff or it will blow up. Well, because he doesn't like when we touch his stuff. Uh, David, Keeper of the Pain, we talked about. Christine, we talked about. Christopher is a personality that's Christine's brother. But the only distinct characteristic about him is that he plays the harmonica. That's all I've got listed here. It's a shitty superpower. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a he got the short end of the stick there, but not as those bad are as the, the primary, pain collector, but still, yeah, yeah, those are the primary personalities, though. So, yeah, there's not a whole lot of stuff out there on each personality, and and you know that could just be because you know you couldn't bring that personality to the surface to interview or evaluate or anything like that. So, 
the thing is that they called them escapes, right? Mm-hmm. But what was actually going on is that he had made a lot of progress. And we said we'd talk about his paintings. His paintings, and I don't know which personality is responsible for each you know, style of painting or sketching or whatever, but he was a phenomenal artist. Just Google Billy Milligan paintings, and you'll actually see a painting that he did of his personalities, which is remarkable. But you will see a huge array of talents. He... Like you said, he paints landscapes. Uh, he painted, you know, the the personalities of his, and he was also an excellent sketch artist. There's a weird video of him and one of his buddies uh, that didn't die, um, and he's sketching him, and he's having a conversation with the guy, like an in-depth conversation, and he's drawing him at the same time, and it's perfect, and. Hmm. You know, uh, I mean, I'm an okay drawer, but I have to really focus on it when I'm doing it. I can't, like, have a conversation and then just have another personality doing the drawing for me. Yeah. I know that, you know, throughout at least what I've seen as far as um, DID people, it's one personality at a time. So... It would be hard to have um, Alan doing the talking and, what, Tommy painting a landscape. So, yeah, I don't know. But that was interesting. Check out his paintings. They're, they're wonderful. But he, he was painting at the time he was in the psych prison. And he sold the paintings. And guess what? He made enough money to buy a car. So he had a car, but he was in prison. (laughs) The car was parked (laughs) at the prison. He got to go out on like day trips. He was allowed to leave. His escape came in the form of not coming back. Mm. See what I'm saying? So the escape artist thing, I don't know about that, but it was more of walking away than it like he didn't you know, get a cake with a file in it and cut his bars out or anything like that. You know, it was, they make it sound like, Oh, he escaped. Well, you guys kind of just let him do what he wanted and he just didn't come back. So, yeah, it's like, I have friends that live in St. Peter's Mm -hmm. and they talk about yeah, Well, and they talk about break-ins in their neighborhood, like break-in, like car Mm break-ins. And what it always turns out being is a neighbor left their car on the street unlocked. Right. And somebody just reached in and took something that was in there. Right. Like it's, it's not a cat burglar. It's not great, but yeah, it's (laughs) it's not somebody smashed the window and did whatever. It's like probably a teenager was walking by and was like, Oh, look at that. There's a wallet sitting on the seat or a pack of cigarettes or something. Yeah. Or a a sweet, uh, Millie Vanilli cassette tape. And they just, (laughs) how did you know that was stolen from my car? (laughs) You son of a bitch. You did it. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it. I didn't know that that's how he escaped. I I was curious about that. Like how how would he get away, assume a new identity, and go to Washington? Mm-hmm. Apparently, they just let him go. Well, things were a lot easier back then. I mean, I think about you know, and, and 
I'd like to think I'm a pretty good guy, but man, if you were in the old West, there was a bank there with $10,000 in it, which would be, you know, half a million today. And you could walk in there, point a gun, take that money, no cameras, no security, no cops, maybe a sheriff somewhere. Um, the best that they can do is do a sketch of you. And all you have to do is grow that big Teddy Roosevelt mustache and, you know, you look like everyone else. So Or shave it. Yeah. So you think about uh, the things that he did back in the day are not as impressive as they would be today. Right, right. Mr. Milligan died of cancer at a nursing home in Columbus, Ohio on December 12th, 2014. He was 59 years old. And looking back on his life, it's a real tragedy. You know? A lot of people got hurt. And this, this man who, when lucid at least in the interviews that I saw, seemed very polite, nice, mm-hmm. well-spoken, friendly. Now, that could have been Alan the Manipulator, but, you know, it, it's, I don't know. I I kind of kind of believe this one. Maybe not 24 personalities, m- maybe 10, maybe 35, who knows. But I, I got to go with my gut and I I think that he is one of the few people in history that actually had this ailment yeah I think so too Um, I had read that he had moved away from Ohio he had lived in Los Angeles and Las Vegas I think for Mm -hmm. a different amount of time and returned to Ohio when his sister purchased a mobile home for him and that was what he was living in up until when he died so I mean if she he couldn't have been a total monster all the time right. if she did that for him. Right. A mobile home's not... Even though they seem cheap in the movies or you see YouTube videos about, like, hey, I just went out and bought this. Mm-hmm. They're not cheap. No. Like, you have to care. Like, you sacrificed something right. to do that. So, right. So, yeah. yeah he, I, uh, in my research, I found that, in like you said, in 96, he lived in good old California and... He owned Stormy Life Productions and was going to make a short film, which I could never find anything else on, but that was his intention. And I don't know. What what does that say? Does that make it seem like, oh, he's uh, maybe did make some of this stuff up or, hey, my life is just all shit. I'm going to try and get what I can out of it. I don't think so. I think it's more of maybe that was his passion. If he was an artistic type of person, maybe he just went for that. Because mm-hmm. if he wanted to make money off of it, he could have like, I don't know, he could have made some deal to tell his story and have it made into a movie or something. He didn't have to make it himself. So there, uh, there's some other things that came up with uh, Mr. Milligan. First of all, you touched on Daniel Key's uh biographical on him called The Minds of Billy Milligan came out in 81 and he actually did a follow up book called The Milligan Wars 
which for whatever reason was published in Japan in 94, Taiwan in 2000, France in 2009, and Ukraine in 2018, but not in the United States. Now, some of this uh, is because Milligan had a lawsuit against the state of Ohio for the allegedly inadequate treatment he received in Ohio facilities. And I don't know. I mean, he, he complained constantly that his uh, psychiatrist and, and his you know mental health care in general was very poor. And I don't think it was anything like personal against him. I just think that the psychiatric system set up for prisons and even psychiatric hospitals is just kind of shitty. Yeah. You know, the money is in private practice and not in a facility. I mean, I know like uh, psychiatrists have some of the insane debt tied to their schooling. And I once had someone tell me about psychiatrists. I was like, man, you know, they talk to you for 10 minutes. It's total bullshit. You know, you should go to a therapist, a psychologist. And it was explained to me that if they didn't get a new client or customer or patient or whatever, you know, the fancy term is for it now, if they didn't get a new one every 10 or 15 minutes, they would lose their house. So Hmm. that's the kind of bind we put our link to sanity in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And, and I think it's, it reminds me of a conversation I had with my family a while ago about charitable organizations and how much they pay their CEOs or mm-hmm. upper level people, you know, like, Oh, we're paying the CEO of, you know, whatever, $400,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that seems like maybe not the best use of the money that's donated, but if you need a person capable of running an organization, you have to persuade somebody to take that job right? over doing a for-profit job where they're making probably twice as much as that, you know? You, you have to look at it as, okay, this is my, you know, charitable organization. If I pay this guy $400,000 a year, he'll get us... Six million in donations. If I pay this guy a hundred thousand dollars a year, he'll get us one million in donations. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a give and take. But yeah, I just don't. I feel like doctors in general are just so tied to their debt that they're kind of afraid to step out of bounds. You know, like they're afraid of mm-hmm. getting canceled, basically. Well, and a lot of doctors or a lot of people going into the medical field, from what I can tell, since my fiance is in that field, are going for things below a doctor, mm-hmm. like a nurse practitioner. Like a yeah, yeah. What I, I think there's a new like physician's assistant or something. It's a similar thing. I don't know if it's a new term for the same thing, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's basically you you could run a clinic with one of those instead right. of a doctor right. and have a quarter of the debt. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So just to go over a couple things real quick, uh, several attempts have been made to, I guess, adapt Key's book to a Hollywood movie, uh, which would be very interesting. Uh, I think it could be, you know, a, a fantastic movie. And in the early nineties, James Cameron co-wrote a screenplay with Todd Graff for a film version that he was to direct 
and it was titled A Crowded Room. Mm. People think that people, you know, writers just write a screenplay and boom, then they, you know, it's a movie. And I would just, it would just suck so bad to write a whole script for a movie and then have everyone be like, eh, nah. Like, dude, I spent a year writing this. Oh, sorry. Right. But anyway, uh, the adaptation never came into fruition because Cameron was sued by the adaptation rights holder, Sandy Acara, demanding that her salary would be raised from $250,000 to $1.5 million. So she basically shut it down and kind of stubbed her own toe unless something happens in the future because she just threw away $250,000 because they're like, nope. And then Milligan sued Cameron in 93. I have my opinions on Hollywood people. I don't know much about James Cameron, but it's like you can't sue somebody because they didn't go through with a movie. You know what I mean? It's like if they agreed to pay you a salary and you had a contract and they didn't make the movie, then that would be in the contract. You know, either you get paid no matter what, or you only get paid if the movie comes out or whatever. But so Warner Brothers continued to develop the now slightly retitled The Crowded Room because then it's not uh, copyrighted, I guess. (laughs) But uh, that was supposed to be Joel Schumacher and David Fincher. Well, some of the actors that were going to be sought out for the role of Billy Milligan were Matthew McConaughey, Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, Sean Penn, and John Cusack. And Mm. it's like, yeah, they're being courted for every movie. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know. Who, Who would play Ryan in a story of Ryan's life? Oh my God. I don't even want to think about it. Um, God, I don't know. Who would play me? Who would I want to play me? I'm going with Edward Norton for me. Oh, my God. That's good. Oh, oh. Damn, what's his name? Hold on. I have to find this. Uh, oh, actually, James McAvoy would work since we've been on the subject. But there of that. you go. Um, Mark Strong could play me because he shaves his head like I do. Um, man. Ralph Fiennes. Just because I love Ralph Fiennes in anything he's in. I thought it much. was Wraith. Doesn't he Rafe? say Wraith? Oh, I don't know. I think he says Wraith because I've heard comedians making fun of him. They're like, your name's Ralph. Don't try and make it sound all cool. <laughs> he is a good actor, though. Ralph or Wraith, whatever. Yeah. I would have him play me, but he would have to basically just be the concierge from the Grand Budapest Hotel. Because that's my favorite character of his. And if I could grow up to be somebody, it would be that. <laughs> In 2015, it was confirmed that your boy, Leonardo DiCaprio, would star as Milligan. Oh. Is he your boy? You like Leo? Yeah, I like Leo. Yeah. I liked him in, um, what was that movie called? Shutter Island? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good was movie. Was that the one where, where he has some kind of... I don't know, some kind of mental illness. I know he gets like lobotomized in the end. Spoiler alert for a 12-year-old movie. But Last year, it was announced that The Crowded Room would instead be adapted as a 10-episode television series starring Tom Holland rather than 
DiCaprio. Oh my God. Well, there's something I forgot. Actually, uh, this was in the uh, Netflix documentary. Milligan's niece claims that he confessed to a murder. Hmm. I didn't see anything about that. And she also, let me see here. She linked him to two other unsolved murders. So, I don't know. Is his niece trying to gain notoriety or you think that really happened? I don't know. If he did, if if he did confess, would that change your mind about his DID? Mm, it would take really good, like evidence of that happening mm -hmm. you know I, I almost needing to be in the room when he said it right gotcha because it, it's really easy to say something or if you have a personality that's a trickster or a con man mm -hmm. they could just be like all right this is my final trick on my way out i'm saying this yeah yeah that's funny uh another thing is that we talked about cornelia wilbur right hmm she was one of his evaluators, and mm -hmm. she actually wrote the book Sybil. So she had some expertise, so we think. But next up was The Three Faces of Eve. So these were super popular things that were taking place just a decade and a half or so, two decades before all this happened, right? Um, so this Cornelia Wilbur, okay, so we said that she was behind Sybil, right? She was the evaluator, wrote the book, all that good stuff. Sybil's real name was Shirley Manson, not the singer, but she confessed later that she made it all up. So here's this expert on this specific topic and you're in the actual confession came in a letter to Cornelia Wilbur. It's not like she said it on her deathbed or she, uh, you know, sold an interview somewhere where she claimed that it was all fake, but an actual letter to her doctor. Like, I made it all up. So, so that's an interesting aside. All right, Crypt Keepers, that's all we've got on Billy Milligan. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Check out Movie Hell and Exploring Evil. And if you're just visiting this week for your true crime fix, we've got more on the way. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. <laughs>